one-off message today, just finished the series last week, uh, the week before, we had tree last week, wasn't that great, if you haven't listened to that yet, listen to that message a couple of times, maybe three, four, next week we have Simon Meek, so blessed, and then it's Easter, and then new series will kick off sometime, end of April, so just one-off message today, and I thought I'd tell you a story, who doesn't love a story? Excellent. This one is a personal favorite. You'll find it in 1 Kings 17. It's the story of Elijah, the man of God, and the widow of Zarephath. And um, personally, this is a meaningful story. When I was a young, I'm still frightfully young, of course, when I was a young whippersnapper teacher, my second job, I got to teach RE, and we did common entrance. And the first year seven story we got to teach was Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. And it was at that point that I just started to glimpse some of the richness in that. It's a great story. There's so much in there. Remember Romans 10, 17? If you grew up where I grew up, we repeated this verse over and over again. It says, so faith cometh by hearing. Because we were old in those days. It's King James. Faith, we've modernized a bit now. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Or as the preachers used to say, faith cometh by hearing Hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing by the word of God. So my prayer really as we kick off this is, is that the story and the points that are drawn from it kind of encourage and grow and build up your faith. Anyone do with that on a Sunday morning? Me and Dave. Thank you, Dave. Okay, before we start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a few very simple, what I'm going to call stake in the ground principles with you. Okay, number one, number one, God is good. All the time, yes, I knew there'd be someone with me on that one. God is good all the time. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Great place to start. We're going to see that in this story. A state number two is, is this, God, this is Ray McCauley line, God is cleverer than me. Just a hint, if you haven't come to that conclusion yet, I'll get a wiggle on. It'll save you a lot of pain. Okay, Isaiah 55, verse 8, God says, and this is God being gracious. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's, that's God being polite. Number two. Number three, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for good. It is the verse, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose for them. And then state number four, the last one, is our job is to trust him. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Yes and amen. So four things. God is good. God is cleverer than me. He works all things together for our good. Our job simply is to trust him. I, I don't be, I, I'd say that's all good news. I doubt any of which is new news. But the challenge is, I think, I wonder whether we really live 
and really think and really act as though those four things were true. And I wonder what might change if we really did live in the full revelation of that. I wonder what we would, what we would see differently. I wonder what we would do differently. I wonder what it would do to our levels of peace and joy. And I wonder if our results, our outcomes, might be a little bit more like Jesus. Let me put it like this. What, what if we really lived and thought and acted as though God were good all of the time? What if we really lived, thought, and acted as though God knows best, always? And if we were able to relearn how to think just like him? What if we really lived and thought and acted as though we, we understood that God is deeply at work in our circumstances? And that God knows exactly what he's doing? And if we let him, he will, he will make our paths straight every time. What if we ultimately accepted that, that our job is simply to trust him, to let go, to start fiddling and fixing and manipulating and interfering, just to trust him? Settle that because these four stake in the ground principles are beautifully illustrated in our story. So here goes. I'm going to read the first half for now. We'll come back to the second half in a bit. This is 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah, who is from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no Jew or rain during the next year, few years until I give the word. This is the context. This is the backdrop to this whole story. The land is in famine. We drop down to verse 7. But after a while, the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I do not have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. 
So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised to Elijah. That's tempting to, to dismiss this, I think, as a, as a rather fanciful or far-fetched Old Testament story, almost a fairy tale. Or to say, you know, but that was Elijah, the man of God. We all know he was special. But you know, this story is in our Bibles for a reason. And the reason is to teach and to demonstrate the principles of faith. And here's the premise. There are principles that we see unfolded in this passage that apply to us right now as a church and probably apply to you right now as an individual. We're talking here about, about the operation of faith. Romans 1 verse 17 says, the righteous will live by faith. Matthew 9, 29, Jesus talking to two blind men said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And then 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, for we live by faith, not by sight. You see, God operates by faith. His is a, is a faith realm. Faith is his MO, his modus operandi. We see that in Jesus in the Gospels over and over and over again in, in how he worked, in how he interacted with people, and especially in what he commended. And all that means that we, as Christians, need to learn to live by faith. You know, as, as believers, the way we think, and the way we speak, and the way we act should be different. Why? Because actually different rules apply, because we are supposed to operate in a different realm. That's why Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways, they're just different. See, here's the problem. The problem is that life programs us to operate in, in natural ways, in worldly or, or fleshly or, or reactive or emotional ways. And so we are, we are repeatedly and persistently taught principles that actually run contrary to what God teaches us about faith. I thought about that. And a couple of examples. The world teaches us these. Number one, the more I hoard, the more I have. Number two, if I, if I want to get anywhere in life, I have to work harder. There's some nuances in this, of course. The world teaches us that if I can fix the outside, Things will change for me on the inside. Or how about this? The road to promotion is pushing myself forward. Or, 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 or the objective 
is lifestyle improvement. And Jesus says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. We, we operate under a different set of rules and principles and assumptions as believers. I don't have time to, to, to dig into to challenging those five assumptions. But you know what? They're all pretty easy to buy into. Actually, there are odds in many ways with the faith realm. Which means, as I often say, that there needs to be an unlearning and a relearning. We need to unlearn the ways of the world and relearn the ways of God. We need to, to unlearn natural ways and relearn faith ways. Romans 12, verse 2, oft quoted, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then it says, then you will know God's will. You will go, know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Again, that illustrates there needs to be an unlearning and a relearning. And that's part of the, the metamorphosis journey that God wants to take us all on individually and collectively. Okay, so, so with that in mind, let's take a look at our story and let, let's highlight some of the faith lessons that we need to relearn. Verse 10, as Elijah arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal then my son and I will die. Lesson number one. God sends Elijah to a widow who has nothing, is nobody, is from nowhere, and is at her wit's end. And this is God's solution. I love that. Here's the point. God can and will use anybody. Not only that, it will be on his terms and it won't always make sense. I reckon right at the beginning, that gives us all a lot of hope, doesn't it? I, I thought about this, but I, I didn't think this was appropriate. So kind of pat yourself out on the back and say, I am nobody. I have nothing. I'm at my wit's end. But God, I'm yours. Carry on with the story. I'm going to go through these quickly. But verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Lesson number two is do not be afraid. Here's the statement. Fear decisions, bad 
faith decisions much better. Never make decisions out of fear. Fear, as we know, is imposing and it's loud and it's demanding. But fear will always lead you away from God's presence and God's promises, God's provision. Time after time after time, the Bible starts a pivotal piece with the words, do not fear, with good reason. Okay, faith lesson number three. The Lord did not ask the widow to give anything she didn't already have. She just didn't have very much of it. She just needed to be prepared to give it to him. There's a repeated principle that it starts with what God has placed in your hand. The solution is almost always already in your hand. Famous example, some of you probably know where I'm going to go here. Moses uh, had just met God at the burning bush. God had just given Moses his, his instructions. Moses, remember, was going to be the deliverer for his people to take them out of Egypt. Moses, however, is a little uncertain about this whole thing, understandably so. Exodus 4, verse 1. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Verse 2, then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? The shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Shepherd. Verse 3, throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake, and Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. As God asked Moses, Moses, what is in your hand? The widow here, what was it? It was a handful of, of, of flour at the bottom of a jar. And it was a few drops of oil left in a jug. Which leads to my lesson number four. Number four is when we are prepared to give to God what is already placed in our hand, we can multiply it supernaturally. Verse 15, so she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. See, here's the key. God can't, God won't do it until we release it. That's faith. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it is impossible Please, God, God is looking for you to see if you will act in faith and step out in faith. And you know what? Your, your, your faith is the seed. And here's the line. A seed is no good. A seed is of no value. A seed will accomplish nothing if it is tightly held in your hand. Lesson number five, 
Number five is the seed comes first. Verse 13, but Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but, but, make a little bread for me first. And there's a simple principle that I think you should imagine, but you'll understand, and that, that is that seed comes before harvest. So in the faith realm, sort of God's thoughts, it's giving before receiving. It's obeying before providing. It's believing before seeing. It's trusting before receiving. Look at that list. The world would probably, natural thinking would be the other way around. Once I've received, then I can give. If, if you provide, then I'll obey. If I see it, then I'll believe it. If I've received from you first, then I will trust you. Because trust is earnest, right? In the kingdom, it's the other around in the faith realm it's upside down so supernatural outcomes will always be preceded by a seed of holy spirit initiated obedience and that act of obedience won't necessarily be dramatic but it will almost certainly cost you all the widow had to do, we understand it, is to use her dregs of flour and oil to make Elijah's bread. But here's the point. That was all she had. Again, the key is, is it starts with a faith seed. You know, I think sometimes we think, I'll just wait for the harvest to come in, and then I'll sow my seed. And that's Partly true, that's the tithing principle. That's the first fruits principle. But, but without an initial and sacrificial seed in the kingdom, there will be no harvest in the first place. These are the, these are the principles of the operation of faith. They are a little bit different. There needs to be an unlearning and a relearning, but this is how the kingdom of God operates. It has to be seed first. It's giving before receiving. It's obeying before providing. It's believing before seeing. And it's trusting before receiving. Number six, last one in this half of the story. How God provides for you today won't necessarily be how he provides for you tomorrow. Verse 14, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. Miraculous? Yes. Wonderful? Yes. Solve the problem? Yes. Forever and ever? No, because there's this little word, until. Here's the point. Don't 
dig in stubbornly, assuming that God, what God was doing yesterday is what he intends to do tomorrow. Here's a little thought that, that I find really helpful. When, when God used Joseph to take the Hebrews into Egypt, it was a supernatural solution to a major natural problem. When God used Moses to take the Hebrews out of Egypt, it was a supernatural solution to a major natural problem. So the point is, how God provides for you today won't necessarily be how he provides for you tomorrow. I'm pretty sure that, that what is at stake here is God's desire for us to trust him. His desire for us to walk with him and, and listen to him on an ongoing basis. Here's the danger. The danger is we start to repeat a formula. We start just to repeat the plan or, or to trust a process. Get about the source. Which is pretty why I'm pretty sure is why how God provides for you today won't necessarily be. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on to the second half of the story quickly. Picking up again in verse 17. Sometime later, the woman's son, same woman, same son, became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, Oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? That is called melodrama. Verse 8, 19. But Elijah replied, Give me your son took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying and laid the body on his bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this window who has opened a home to me, causing her son to die? Verse 21, and he stretched, you want to picture this, he stretched himself out over the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to me. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure. You know before? Now I know before for sure that you are a man of God, and that the Lord truly speaks to you. Some people are just slow, I guess. Me, me, top of the list. Okay, so just two more really quick faith lessons, and then I'll, I'll tie all this. Lesson number seven, verse 19. Give me your son. In other words, are you prepared to let go and let God? Give me your son. I wonder as I, as I read that passage, is, is, is false theology keeping you holding on? Quite a bit of false theology in that little are you angry with God? Go right back to the beginning. What's our job? You should be trusting God. Have you forgotten Romans 8:28 that God works all things 
together for good. Psalm 34, verse 8, the invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good all the time, all the time the Lord is good. Isaiah 55, verse 8, his ways and his thoughts are just different to ours. Or are you prepared to trust God with the whole thing? Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then last one, number eight, is if you want a miracle, you have to do what the Holy Spirit says. Again, I, I want you to picture the scene for a minute. Elijah takes this boy up to his room. I'm not sure if you do this in the safeguarding era, although he was dead, I suppose. Lay him down on the bed and literally climbed on top of him and spread himself. I mean, could you imagine? Three times he climbed on and off. This is not normal behavior, everybody. But think about it. Think about Jesus. Jesus had a blind man in front of him. He spat in the ground. He made a muddy spittle. And he rubbed it in the blind man's eyes. Think about Elisha. Elisha made the leper, Naaman, he made him go and wash seven times in the Jordan River. I wonder what he got from the sixth time and the fifth time and the seventh time they didn't get from the first. He must have been clean by the end, right? Answer, it's about Holy Spirit obedience. God calls it, that's what you do. Famous stories about Smith Wigglesworth, great man of God, punching people's tumors and watching them disappear. Don't, don't recommend that, particularly unless, of course, the Holy Spirit says that's what you do. The point is, if you need a miracle today, ask God what he wants you to do. If Elijah had not done that, would that young man have come back to life? I don't know. If you need a miracle today, ask the Holy Spirit what he wants you to do. Here's the key. Then do precisely that. Nothing more, nothing less. And it might be unusual. It might be unexpected. But you know what? The walk of faith demands total and utter, sometimes radical, Holy Spirit obedience. Okay, let's go back to those starting principles. I'm sure you've all remembered what they are. Number one, God is good. Number two, God is cleverer than me. Number three, he works all things together for our good. And number four, our job is to trust him. I do not know what miracle you need today. As a church, we need a financial miracle. Not to mention an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a supernatural harvest of souls, which are also on our agenda. So today, we, we've read a great story and we've highlighted some, some powerful faith lessons. But the next step is this. What does this mean for you? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for us? I have homework for you. The homework is to take your notes, and if you didn't fill in the little sheet, if you go on the church website and look for the Connect Discussion notes online, you'll find capital letters, all the gaps filled in for you. I'd encourage you to work through those faith lessons. There are eight of them. Ask God, what are you saying? 
You know, I'll be doing that as I stare at the mountains in front of me. And I'd encourage you to do exactly the same as you stare at the mountains. If a band would like to come back up, that'd be great. I'm just going to pull this together with a little bit of response, a few questions for you to take to the Lord this morning. And it goes like this. In your current circumstances, with, with the issues that you are facing right now, with the mountains standing in the way, Question number one, what's the seed? Remember the principle number five, it was the seed comes first. What's the seed? Question number two is, what has God already placed in your hands? I'll give you a clue. A seed. Perhaps I shouldn't answer my own open-ended questions quite like that. Number three is, is, what is the Holy Spirit calling for? Question number four, what are you avoiding because of fear? I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great story. So much in there, and we love Elijah, and he... You did some great things, and it was, they were amazing days. But Lord, these principles are eternal. And Lord, it's so easy for us to lose sight of that and get sucked into just doing what everyone else is doing, just going that kind of worldly way and just behaving the same as everyone else. When Jesus came and gave us a very radical call. Lord, your teaching was, for the most part, upside down. It was certainly counterintuitive. It was definitely countercultural. Lord, we need to learn the ways of faith if we're going to get where we need to get, if we're going to see our dreams here as a church fulfilled, if we're going to meet our financial responsibilities as a church, Lord, we are going to need to do it by walking by faith. You said we walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, there needs to be an unlearning needs to be a relearning. I pray today, Lord, that you would teach us all the ways of faith. Help us to see what you see so we might do what you're calling us to do. Holy Spirit, as we take those few questions to you to see what's in our hand, what are you calling us to do, what are we not doing, we avoid him because of fear. Holy Spirit, would you just whisper in our ears and show us what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name.